In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So far in the book of 1 Samuel, we have seen that God has chosen Saul to be his first king over Israel. And we also have seen that Saul has started his life with God so strong. He was a man who was able to prophesy. He was humble. He was wise at the beginning. He refused the people to take extreme actions. Now, as he became a king for a long time, he started drifting away from God. And we saw that the drift happened slowly. So last time, he actually offered the sacrifice instead of Samuel, just because Samuel was delayed. Now, in this chapter, we see something even more aggressive, that he chose to directly disobey the commandments of God. God told him, I want you to go and destroy the Amalek because they have sinned against the Israelites. And what did he choose to do? He chose to follow the commandments, but not fully. He killed people, but he left the king and he left the animals. And then we saw that God went to Samuel almost venting to him and told him, Samuel, see what Saul did. I am very disappointed. And Samuel spent all night interceding for Saul. And Samuel woke up the next morning to run right away to speak to Saul. And we saw the conversation last time where Saul started finding excuses why he couldn't fulfill the commandments of God. So now we're at verse, we're chapter 15 at verse 17. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Basically, what happened was Samuel, uh, Saul kept finding excuses. The people wanted us to take the best calves. The people wanted this. The people wanted that. And he told him, when you were young, when you thought of yourself as nothing, didn't God at that time make you a king? So you are entrusted with a responsibility. You cannot say people made me do this. You cannot say people made me lie. People made me cheat. People made me listen. No. You are entrusted with a responsibility. He's telling him, when you were little and you were, when you saw yourself kind of humble, didn't God call you to be special? Now the Lord sent you on a mission. And he said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amaleks, the fight against them until they are consumed. Obviously at that time, nations who were not worshiping God were considered to be sinners. So he's telling him, I told you to go. By the way, this is extremely important to understand. When people talk about genocides and how God ordered people in the Old Testament to utterly destroy full nations, remember one thing, that they did not kill this nation for a profit. And this is exactly what God meant it to be. It's not like go destroy them so you can gain the richness. Not at all. God said this is the consequence of their sins. They offer their children as a sacrifice to the demon. So I want you to go and fulfill justice. Not take benefit for yourself. Like a judge. A judge doesn't go in every case and try to make a profit. So the people here were, be, were to be used as the, the justice of God. So when they disobeyed God, they misrepresented justice. They misrepresented the work of God. Why then did you not obey the voice of God? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? You see, souls disobedient to the word of God is extremely, there is, is the root cause of this problem. Is the root cause of this problem. And not listening to the voice of God is ex exactly parallel to doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. When I do not fulfill the commandments of God, I cannot say, well, I live, I live fine. I am better than other people. There is no such a thing as I live fine. It's either I am walking in the love of God or I am walking away. There's no such a thing as I'm okay. 
So here he's telling him, you are doing evil because you decided to disobey the Lord. And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. See, Saul is still convinced he is not sinning. I am gone into the mission, on the mission in which the Lord sent me and brought back Agak, the king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took of the blunder, sheep and ox, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So what's happening here, something very interesting. Saul forgot something essential in his life. That who made him a king is God. Who made you a doctor, God. Who made you intelligent, God. Who made you a person of authority, God. So when God asks something of you, I don't go and say, well, I, I, I've already done it. The end, uh, we are nothing. God made you a king and asked, gave you an order. And now he, his response is that he lives in denial. He does not want to agree with the voice of God. Denial. No, I fulfilled the commandments. You asked me to destroy everybody. Yes, I destroyed everybody, but I kept one person alive. You asked me to kill all the animals. I destroyed all the animals, but kept a few to sacrifice to the Lord. It's almost like when we kind of live in our spiritual life, be like, how are you doing in your spiritual life? I'm doing good. I read the Bible every once in a while. I pray every once I come to communion every once in a while. And God says, this is not what I asked you to do. Where is the rest? Where is the rest? Saul was extremely stubborn in admitting his mistake. Saul was extremely stubborn in admitting his mistake. And sometime in our life, it is very, very hard for us to allow God to change us because of our stubbornness. Somebody comes and tells you, you don't know how to pray. You need to start from the beginning. No way. Yes, my prayer is weak, but don't tell me I don't know how to pray. And God says, no, I want a, home, a whole new relationship. For one of Saul's biggest problem is not only that he did not admit his mistake, but he continued in his stubbornness against the word of God. So Samuel said, has the Lord, has the Lord as great delight in burning offering and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. This is, should be a theme of our life. He's telling him, what is Samuel telling him? Telling him, you think offering the, the sacrifice, the oxen, the meat that you kept to sacrifice to God is going to please God? For God to obey is better than the sacrifice. To obey is better than the sacrifice. What does that mean? To come to church to pray is better than you trying to distract people around you by following every small detail. Oh, people made mistake in this hymn. People made this. People made that. And I go and talk and move and all this stuff. To pray is better than try to manage everybody around you. To serve God truly with a pure heart is better than complaining all the time about service. And I don't like what this person did and, I look and I'm sitting as a manager of the whole thing. God is saying, what is better? To obey the voice of God or to do things in a way where you think is the right way? I remember one of Yani one of my, like my, my father of confessions, told me something I'll never forget. He told me, love is more important than what's right. Love is above what's right. So sometimes you might think that this system is right, or this way is right, and it could be truly right. But love and respect to the people around you is the essence of worship. 
is the essence of worship. One of the worst things that we do in prayer is that I focus on people and what they're doing and not on the true relationship with God. And God says, what is better? Sacrifice or obedience? Sacrifice or talking with me? What's better? That's what he's saying. He's telling him, for rebellion is a sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is an iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of God, he has also rejected you from being a king. I want to ask you that when we read the word of God, we know how true this is. Is the Bible saying when you are stubborn, you're almost as an idol worshiper. When you rebel against the word of God, it's the same sin as witchcraft. You cannot have a, a ceremonial celebration in the church with a rebellious or with a stubbornness attitude. God rejected Saul from being a king because of his rebellion and his stubbornness. His rebellion and his stubbornness. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord and your words because I fear the people and obeyed their voice. Finally, Saul said what? I have sinned. But we're going to find later that this is not a true repentance and we will see why. But Saul here, look, even though he said that he has sinned, he does not understand the seriousness of the situation. What did Samuel tell him the verse before? He told him, God rejected you from being a king. That's a disaster. He's telling God does not want you to be a king. He does not understand. doesn't click. You know, when you're so consumed in yourself all the time, the word of God sometimes does not really have its imp the impact it should be. I was reading to somebody, he said, I get so worried about people who are not in awe every time you hear the promises and the voices of God because how familiar they are with the words of God. Say this one more time. We get worried about people who are familiar with the word of God that they are not in awe when they hear what God is saying. So here, Samuel is saying, Saul is saying, I have sinned. I've transgressed just because I was afraid of the people. I was what? Afraid of the people. Obviously, Taban, even if he's afraid of the people, it's a sin. Because it says, even in Proverbs 29, 25, it says, the fear of others lies a snare, but one who trusts in the Lord is secure. So even if he is truly afraid of the people, he still sinned, but this is not the issue. We'll see why. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. I think he's here in this verses. It's telling me, now, therefore, please pardon my sin. It's like it's a casual thing, you know. Forgive me my sin. So I can go, we can move on. We can worship God. You know, if you make a comparison between Saul and Pharaoh in the book of Exodus 10, you will see exactly the same attitude. I have sinned against God. Just move the, move the plague and I will do everything you want. They're using the right vocabulary, but there's no heart inside. When I say to God, for example, in Thanksgiving prayer, let us give thanks. Is my heart truly full of thanks? When I say, my father who's in heaven, do I feel that I am his child? The words I say matters. This man says words, but nothing inside. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being a king. He's telling him, you truly did not repent. 
Forgiveness is not an artificial act. It's a mystery. Forgiveness is not an artificial act. It's a mystery. And by the way, the people who confess and in their repentance, they fear the reverence of God. They are the ones that they enjoy the forgiveness of God the most. One of the things that His Holiness Pope Shmuel said in one of his books that I like, he said, a lot of times we as people cannot forgive others because we have not truly enjoyed the forgiveness of God. And Saul, later on we will see that he has not learned to forgive others. And it's hard for him to seek the forgiveness of God. And here, he's asking for faith forgiveness. And by the way, we all do this. We all know how to use the right sweet words to gain people in front of us. But the heart could be in a completely different place. He's saying here, to, forgive, to get forgiveness is a mystery. And Samuel turned around to go away. Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it. Wow. This is his father of confession. Samuel is the father of confession of Saul. When Samuel left, what did Samuel do? He grabbed his rope. Violence. He got used to obtain everything by power. He tore his clothes. I tell you guys something, to be honest with you. God, may God protect us from ever being in a place of absolute power. It's one of the hardest things that human can handle. It is one of the hardest things that human can handle. We as human don't know how to handle something like this. And this is extremely extreme, extreme attachment to God. And this is extreme, extreme attachment to God. So Saul, after a while, because of the absolute power he had, he became completely, completely hardened. To the point that he went to grab and use violence to receive a gift of the Spirit. To receive the gift. One of the things about spiritual life that God does a lot, God does not allow us in our spiritual life to be able to predict His action. Because if we're able to predict His action, we will think that we're able to control Him. We're able to... Eh, control him. So God does not allow us to predict his action. That's why the Bible says the wind goes wherever it wants. The wind goes wherever it, wherever it wants. So here we see that Saul tried to control the action of God. I will get forgiveness by force. No. Unless there's a spirit of humility, you can get forgiveness. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. So Samuel took the, the ripping of the rope as a prophecy, as a sign that the kingdom of Saul will be destroyed. And he told him, somebody better than you, it means somebody who is more obedient to God. And that person obviously will be David. And it's interesting to me because as you read on, Samuel did not know the details of David yet. Like it's almost like when you want to understand how God reveals the plans to his saints, it seems like he kind of vaguely shows them things. So, so Samuel seems to have some sort of a feel that there is somebody better than Saul coming. And we'll see later, he does not know who, he does not know how, 
He keeps praying for Saul, and we'll continue to see. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he, has not, for he is not a man that he should relent. He's telling him the judgment that God has against you is final. By the way, what, what judgment? That he no longer will be a king. This is a judgment. But he still has open heart for God to forgive him. He's, he has for open heart for God. So he can actually, at this point, can say, you know what? I don't care about the kingdom. I just want God to accept me. You guys understand what I'm trying to say? So that's kind of what, that's what's, what, what, what is this verse saying. Saul was more consumed with the kingdom than with his own personal salvation. How do we know? Look at this verse, verse 30. Then he said, this is Saul saying to Samuel, I have sinned, okay? Yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. Now the secret is clear. Why does Saul keep apologizing? Because he wants Samuel to go back with him in front of the people, in front of the ceremony, so the elders of Israel can see them together. He told them, honor me in front of the elders. Saul is using a correct religious language, but without the reality that it requires. Without the reality that it requires. And Khalibalku, what Saul, Saul said here is, is similar opinion. He says what? Honor me and return what? Uh, before the elders of my people. My people. I remember the priest who taught us the liturgy. He told us, he told us as new priests, Never say my congregation. This is the congregation of God, and you are just only a steward. When I have the right relationships in my mind, it would help me to understand where my role is. So Sam, Saul, at some point, felt he owns the people. He owns the people. But here, it was not. It was not a real. It was not a real sense of repentance it was more of like don't make me don't make me look bad that's basically what he's saying look what Samuel did so Samuel returned back after Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord you might ask me why did Samuel go back with Saul most likely because Samuel was worried about the the order within the nation of Israel if he does not go back with him people might say you know what's going on is there a division? There might be a problem. There might be issues. So he might have just went back with him just to make sure that there is order. There's some sort of uh, peace happening. So he went back with him just to, in front of people, things would look normal. But imagine with me, and I want to stop at this verse a little bit. Imagine with me the type of worship that Saul offered to God in this time. What kind of worship is this? It's like almost I'm going to God and tell him, God have mercy on me and I'm completely stubborn. I don't want to forgive my brothers and sisters. How? I'm asking God to help me and I don't want to help people. I'm asking God to guide me and I don't want to guide people. I'm asking God to bring me closer to him and I don't want to fast. I don't want to pray. Sometime I'm talking with my lips and my mind and my heart are somewhere else. That's why in Isaiah I said those people worship me with their lips only. So here I worship that sounds really fake. Feels very fake. Then Samuel said, and some people said that Samuel went back for this next chapter to finish what Saul did not finish. So we're going to see. And Samuel said, bring Agag, the king of the Amorites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. 
basically Agag was obviously soul is spared to him so he's alive so in his mind he didn't think he's gonna die it's over you know they're gonna keep him as a as a hostage and when he heard that Samuel wants him obviously Samuel is a prophet he's not a man of war he's not a warrior so he's not worried about the bitterness of death he's not worried about dying but Samuel said as your sword has made woman childless so shall your mother be childless among women and Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. So Samuel finished what Saul could not finish. And here we see the, the justice of God that took place after many generations in the life of the Amaleks. And by the way, in the church, in the church, the church does not, is not against the death penalty. In the, in the scripture, it said, whoever was taken by sword will be taken by sword. Obviously, if enough evidence is there. Okay? And also, the church believes that the earthly punishment is different than the heavenly punishment. So somebody might receive earthly punishment for the sin, but the forgiveness of God can always prepare us to the heavenly punishment, no matter how bad our sin is. So these two things, we keep them separate. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to the house at Geba of, of Saul. Obviously, now at this point, there's something going to happen. Saul and, 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 uh, and Samuel are no longer going to talk anymore. The relationship, the spiritual relationship that Saul had in his life to guide him will completely disappear. And that a lot happens when we stray away from God. You see, the spiritual relationships in our life are getting weaker. Our retreats are getting weaker. The spiritual meals that we have are getting weaker. The times I attend liturgy are getting weaker. Then I know that I'm going somewhere and God is going another way. And then Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. This is the heart of a beautiful servant. So Samuel went back. No longer he talks to Saul. But Samuel spent time praying for Saul. One of the things that I think sometimes we forget to do in our life, we forget to understand the importance of persistence in prayer persistence in prayer I ask God for something God be like no I don't believe you I'm like no I really want it God I really want a pure heart it's a beautiful request I don't believe you what do you want me to do I want you to forgive can you forgive people can you start praying for those who curse you and those who hate you can you start not judge can you start praying whenever you get a bad thoughts in your head I will try you leave the prayer and you do nothing. Next time you come and tell God, I want a pure heart. You're like, no, I don't believe you. Persistence in prayer, then you hear the response of God. This is what happened with Samuel. Samuel kept praying for Saul, even though Saul treated him really badly. Because Samuel, as a child of God, he felt that Saul is his brother. As a child of God, he felt that Saul is his brother. There is something that puts our relationship right with everybody around us when my relationship is right with God. When I see God as my father, truly my father, I'm going to see all humanity as my brothers and sisters that I care for and I love. And there will be no longer competition between me and them. We're not fighting for who God will love more. God loves all his children the same. We're not fighting for that. We're not fighting for a special love that God will give me and not going to give another person. God wants to give every person a special love. We're fighting as a family. So that we all can make it to heaven together. This is the heart of Samuel. And the Bible said, And God regretted that he made Saul a king over Israel. 
Obviously, we already talked about this earlier. The feelings of God in the scripture is more from a human sense. Like God is trying to explain to us in a, in a simple words how the life of Saul disappointed him. God regretted making him a king because probably the soul in power and authority made his habits worse. His absolute power made him lose his humility. It made him lose a lot of things because he was not he was not what he was not connected with the spiritual sources. So God regretted making him a king. Like when God, for example, regret that he gives people richness and intelligence and, and connections because people use it in the wrong way. Now, chapter 16, we're going to start now from chapter 16 on, we're going to start now introducing a very important character in the scripture, David the prophet. So we'll start here seeing what happened. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. You see, Samuel was praying. God responded. Not the response that Samuel was looking for, but a response. He told him, look, I have already rejected him as a king. There's no way I can work with him and he does not want to work with me. But I have somebody else in mind. And this person will take, will be anointed by the Holy Spirit. He's going to take a horn. Tafin horn is like a big bottle of oil. Saul was anointed with a little bit of oil. David's going to get a whole horn of oil. He's going to go to Jesse. Jesus was from the root of Jesse. And this is the first time in the scripture that the city of Bethlehem comes up. This is where God is, our Lord Jesus was born. Jesse, by the way, is the grandson of Boaz, if you guys remember the book of Ruth. So Ruth is the, grand, is the grandmother of David. You'll see also, when, Jesus told, when God told him that you're going to go to Jesse, he did not tell him you will find David. When you look and see how God works with Samuel, he gives him everything step by step. I'm going to make you go, and we'll see why. God wanted to show us how insignificant David was in his family. So God told Samuel, go, and I will show you. That's it. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Look, this verse, yeah, and he needs a little bit more time. Samuel knew that Saul's heart is full of evil at this point. Okay, he knows if Samuel if Saul hears that Samuel is going to anoint another person as a king, it will be a problem. And to me, I wasn't really sure why Samuel is scared of death. Is he scared because he's not going to finish the work of God? Is he scared because God didn't fully reveal to him all the details? I mean, his question to God, obviously, maybe is a question either of lack of understanding, lack of faith, maybe a struggle he's going through. But most likely, Samuel was concerned with how he, will he finish the work of God if Saul hears that he's going to anoint another king. This is a problem for him and for all for the person he will anoint. So God said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice. Somebody might say, well, so Samuel is going to be lying. Because if somebody asked him, it would be like, you know, he says gonna be, I'm going to sacrifice, but there's another goal, there's another intention he's hiding. Obviously, Hiding some secrets and intimacy is not a lie. I'm not required to reveal everything. I'm not required to reveal everything. A lie comes when I misrepresent the truth. Or I say half of the truth to deceive people. 
But the intention here is not to deceive. The intention here is not to deceive. The intention here is for him to go and protect the new king and protect the plans of God. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So basically, God told him, go and call Jesse and his children and I will tell you which one to anoint. So Samuel did what the Lord said and he went to Bethlehem and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peacefully? You see, remember in Tazbaha we say St. Mary, she's the honor of Samuel. When Samuel entered the city, the whole city trembled. By the way, Samuel does not have an army. He's not a king. He's just a prophet of God. A poor man walks with a garment. He's very poor. But once he walked in the city, the whole city trembled. Did, did, did we do anything wrong? Is everything okay? Everybody is just worried because Samuel walks in. And this is the honor and reverence that God gives to his children. The honor and reverence that God gives to his children. And some, and but also probably the people in Bethlehem, maybe they were not following the ways of God fully. Because if they were following the ways of God fully, they will be excited to see a holy man coming. You know, like when, for example, people who are on a, on a same spiritual desire they will understand people who are sharing certain spiritual topics. Those from outside, they might not appreciate it. So if they were truly walking with God, they'll be excited Samuel is coming. This is the man of God. He says all the secrets and he knows God and he's connected. It will be amazing for him to come. So one, they're probably not walking fully with God. And number two, they probably also Samuel has a great reverence among his people. And that's important to understand when, how, where, in what environment did David was David raised up. In an environment that was probably not that close to God. And he said peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourself and come with me to sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. The idea of sanctifying yourself to the sacrifice, you'll see this in Exodus 19.10 and, and Numbers 8.21. It means that they have to prepare themselves. They have to wash their hands, wash their clothes, get ready because you're going to sacrifice to the God. Just like when you attend liturgy, you have to, to fast, you have to, take you have to confess, you have to shower. You prepare yourself for liturgy. So he's telling them, prepare yourself for a sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Elihab and said, surely the Lord anointed is before him. Now, this part is a bit confusing, so I want to clarify. So now, he's going to anoint somebody to pray with him. The Jesse's, Jesse and his children, they probably don't understand what's happening. They don't know why Samuel is there. And they don't understand that he's anointing somebody to become a king. All what they think is anointing somebody to serve with him. So, Jesse brought in his elder son, Elihab. Look at him. He looks good. He has muscles. This is the mentality of the people at that time. Look at him. He's a good, he's good, he's a good choice. Okay? Uh, but Sam, but obviously God is not going to choose looks anymore. This is what happened with Saul. Saul, remember, he was very tall, and people talk about how tall he is. No longer God's going to do this. And Samuel is somehow is connected with God 24 hours. God will tell Samuel, this is not the person. So Jesse will bring Elihu. He looks at him. Samuel waits for God. God tells him, no, this is not the person. But God said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his, at physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. Some people might have right manners in front of you. And some might appear foolish. But God sees the heart. God sees the simplicity of the heart. A lot of times we were deceived by words. Deceived by looks. But God looks at the heart. Some people might in their simplicity and how genuine and sincere they are, they look foolish. 
and God says, I want them. Some people in their prayer, they might seem very simple, but it's from the heart. They don't know how to use big words and big verses and sound fancy. God says, I do not see like people see. I do not see like people see. You might attend uh, an occasion for somebody, you find lots of people around. But you see God in another occasion, more present when there is less, when there is more poverty, when there's no one is around. That's why one of, one of the, and I was reading to one of the fathers, he said something beautiful, he said, when God is most absent, is more present. When God is most absent, he's most present. And the times where we feel God is not there, he's actually there. We might think we correlate the presence of God with big ceremony, big people, a lot of numbers, a lot of things, but God might not be there. I was actually talking to somebody who lived in isolation for 10 years. And I was asking them, I asked them, I told him, one of the monks, I told him, did you ever get bored when you're sitting in your cell for 10 years not seeing anybody? He told me, Abuna, believe it or not, when I was in isolation, I would stand and pray out loud, and I don't know how to stop. I could not stop. Rivers are running out. To the point that I used to lose my voice in some days. I used to lose my voice. I had to stop myself to be able to sleep. When God might be absent, he's more present. God does not see as men see. You guys remember in the book of Daniel, when Daniel was away from power, he saw all the visions. He saw all the visions. God sees different than people. Then Jesse called Apinadab, that's his second son, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. The second son of Jesse, same thing. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. In the old days, by the way, usually the first three sons are enough to present the whole family. You see this in First Chronicles 2, 3. And the perfect number of children is seven. Job had seven children. You see this in Job 1, 2 and 42, 13. So here... Jesse have shown his seven children, almost like the perfect number of children. David becomes number eight. It's almost a new beginning. He represents our Lord Jesus Christ. So Samuel was confused. That's it. The God told me to come anoint one of your children. That's it? That's all what you have? Look what happened. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. Wow. See, his father has a very important visitor. Samuel is coming. The one, when he walked to the city, the whole city shook. His father didn't think David is significant enough to attend this meeting. When we pray the psalm, I am the youngest among my brethren, David was neglected among his brethren. Neglected. His father wouldn't even invite him when an important bishop or a, or a priest coming to his house. His father forget, he didn't even consider him as an option, as a viable option to be consecrated in front of the Lord. And where is David 
David is looking after the sheep. All the children of God that were chosen and were after God's heart were shepherding the flock. Joseph in Genesis 37 too, was also shepherding the flock. There is something about caring for the helpless that makes you learn about God more. His father sent him to take care of the sheep as a way of an insignificant task. But in this insignificant task, David met God and learned about God. One of the worst things that the world teaches us that to be significant is to have to do extraordinary work. But God teaches us something different. In every small thing that you do, you do it with great love. You are in the hands of God. You are in the hands of God. There's no solution there's no immediate solutions to all our problems. No way. If you want to learn about God, we have to live with the little things in our life. We have to be content with even taking the little trash from the floor with love. This is David the prophet. David the prophet. Something interesting that uh, Pascal, one of the scientists, said, I really liked. He said, all human evil are caused by one thing. Human inability to sit in a room by themselves. All human evil are caused by one thing. Human inability to sit with themselves in a room. We don't have the courage and the desire to sit and reflect. David the prophet is alone with the sheep all day long. He's reflecting, he's searching, he's being cleansed, he's allowing God to change him. We do not sit with God alone. And David the prophet was content where he is. As a shepherd watching the sheep. One of the biggest warfare of the devil is he always wants you to find something else, something new. The monk is not happy where he is. The parents are not happy where they are. The children are not happy where they are. Nobody's happy where they are. When are you going to meet God? When are we going to see him? in the next career, in the next job, in the next family? No. So he sent, we'll take this last verse. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. This is the first direct contact between David and Samuel. And obviously when the, the scripture says he, good, uh, he had beautiful eyes or light, good looking, this was the expression that used to describe a happy king. You will see this in Genesis 39.6. When you see a happy king, you describe him with a bright face. David seems like to have more like an a, a, a impression of, a, of a, a happy king and a childlike quality. And a childlike quality. And God told Samuel, this is the one. This is a historical moment in the history of Israel. Just like our Lord Jesus Christ was born in a manger in the midst of sheep and animals and in the midst of a place where nobody noticed. David the prophet, the, the biggest prototype of Christ in the Old Testament, was anointed among his brethren as the least of his brethren. The people who are Christ-like they're always, always chosen in the most modest way ever. David the prophet almost today reminds us of the Lord who will be born in a manger, the Lord who will be a shepherd, 
the Lord who is rejected, who is neglected. This is exactly what, a, what would point us to, uh, to Christ. You see also, one of the things that we'll see about David the prophet, that when he came and he was called to come, David does not say a single word to his parents. How come you never invited me? He was not angry. He did not give them attitude. How come Samuel is here and nobody told me? Nothing. Happy with his life. Content with his life. He's not waiting for something outside to make him happy. Content. Content with his life. I was, I'll tell you a story and then I'll, I'll conclude. I was spending some time with, uh, with, uh, with somebody who lived and he, he was living in isolation for a long time, another monk. And I was sitting with him and we were talking and I was telling him, like, what do you think is a, is a prayer that it would be acceptable today? He told me, what do we want from this world? Nothing. He says, all what we want to do is to praise God for all what he has done. We praise you, we bless you, we worship you. This, this monk was almost 100 years old, living in a, in a cell by himself, in the midst of the desert. And uh, the amount of joy and happiness that he had was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And every time, as an elderly monk, he fell a few times, so they would take him to a monastery until once he just, you know, gets his health back, he runs back to his cell in the desert. How can somebody, his name is not known, he lives hidden over a hundred years, be so happy? And if you go to a nursing home, most people are bitter, regretful. What David the prophet is showing us is that life with God is something else. Another author said something beautiful. He said, it's strange. We as human resist what we seek. All of us want to be loved in a special way. But we tend to resist the love of God in our life, even though that's what we're seeking even though that's what we're seeking. So David the prophet, the way he came in just shows that this man had no bitterness in his heart. I'm happy being a, sh a shepherd. I'm happy being a student. I'm happy being a servant. I'm happy being whatever situation that God put me in. It is not by, a cha it's not by accident where I am. And that's the people that God calls upon to serve his holy name and glory be to God forever and ever.